Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. When we launched this podcast back in mid-2020, I was advised to name the show after my intended audience. And so the Manufacturing Executive became its title. The idea was to be a resource to leaders of manufacturing organizations, presidents, CEOs, CFOs, owners, and others who are driving the organizations forward in leadership roles. I wanted to keep the topics diverse, putting the spotlight on others who could bring helpful perspectives, stories, and ideas to that audience. And as our listenership has grown from zero to over 800 unique weekly listeners, we decided it was time to launch a second show. But this time, we'd tap into our own team's expertise at Gorilla76 and about what we know best, marketing for B2B companies specifically inside of the manufacturing ecosystem. Like with our first go-round, we chose to name the show after the audience and the manufacturing marketer was born. In that second podcast, The Manufacturing Marketer, we get down and dirty into the weeds of marketing strategies, tactics, and playbooks for those wearing the marketing hat inside of the same types of companies that this podcast is meant to help. So today, I'm doing something a little bit different. Rather than my typical interview, I'm going to syndicate a recent episode from that new show, The Manufacturing Marketer. I was very intentional about picking an episode that's not too in the weeds or execution-based for this typical manufacturing executive that listens to this show. Instead, I wanted to give any of you listening a taste of what we're doing over there in hopes that it might create value for the appropriate person inside of your organization. You can make that judgment call for yourself. In this episode, I've chosen to replay right here. Our team of strategists at Gorilla fields questions that they've received at our recurring live event, Industrial Marketing Live, from industrial marketing folks working inside of manufacturing companies. They'll get into trade show strategy, digital advertising for manufacturers, enabling your distributors and more. So with no further ado, here's the episode within an episode from the Manufacturing Marketer Podcast. Hey there, industrial marketer, and welcome to the Manufacturing Marketer Podcast, a show dedicated to all the small marketing teams working at companies that make stuff. We're your hosts, Brendan Forrest and Mary Keo, And like you, we both cut our teeth in-house in manufacturing companies. Today, we are senior strategists at Gorilla76, an agency dedicated to building revenue-focused marketing programs for industrial companies. Our aim is to help empower you to get a seat at the table and move the needle forward on your goals. And today, we have two guests joining us. On for his second time as Kevin McCleary, our performance marketing whiz kid. And for the first time ever, the illustrious host of Industrial Marketing Live, Hayden Warren. Welcome to you both. 
How are you doing? Middle of December, almost Christmas. Hi, hi, hi. Hey, hey. What's going on? Feeling great. All right. Well, on this episode, we had some leftover questions from last week on our industrial marketing live show. Uh, we did a fun uh, Ask Us Anything, and we had some leftover questions. And we thought we'd take them over into podcast land and get them answered here. Peyton is going to be hosting here again for us today. Uh, so Peyton, kick us off. Let's go. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, the questions that we, we received some questions in Slack and we also received questions live on IML. So if you haven't watched that show, definitely go back and watch it, but it is too late to submit questions. Too late to submit questions yes. but, um, for, for the live show, but all, we're always taking your questions. So if there's something here that you just have not um, been able to get an answer to, please let us know. All right. So our first question today comes from Jared Beasley. Um, Jared asked, I'm typically not a fan of traditional digital ads, but do you have any thoughts or experience with event targeting for specific trade shows? And I think what he means by traditional digital ads is banner ads. The billboard of the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I have not had experience with it because I wasn't allowed to do it when I was in-house, but I definitely have some thoughts. But I want to hear from Kevin first because he had a really great point that I want him to hit on. Yeah, so... um... What I think he's getting at here is like geofencing banner ads where you can like literally draw like a a shape like around a location on a map and target banner ads to people who enter that geofence. So I get what he's getting at here. And just in my opinion, you can do the same thing but with like a Facebook ad or, or LinkedIn ad. Um, there's There's other ways you can do it. You can even post organic content and tag it. Uh, in that geolocation. Um, I've found that those things end up being way more effective than running banner ads and cost effective. Um, You're going to get more data back on on those strategies like immediately. And yeah, I also just think like who there's very few people who are consuming a banner ad and then acting with intent. like Brendan said, they're sort of the billboard of the internet. Like yeah. they, you can get some impressions, like get people, build some awareness. But if you're looking to target something, a, such a small window as an event, you don't really have as long enough time to actually make that um, that impression that you want. Whereas you can target geographically on another ad platform as long as you want to. Well, I think yeah. there's also two things to look at here, right? So with an event, it's either, are you inviting somebody to your event, right? Are you inviting somebody to go to your trade show booth or do you have like your own special event, right? Like a, you know, like a conference that you do, like, so you're inviting people or are you trying to target people that went to the event, right? So if you're at a trade show, like Kevin, you just said, like you're targeting people that go to the event, right? So you put a geofence around the front door, basically, uh, to get only people that go to that event. Um, I, for one, Unless you're running, like if you're running your own event, I think you do need to have some sort of marketing strategy. But if you're going to a trade show, I don't think I would look at spending any money to invite people to that event because the trade show should already be doing that for you. And you're already spending way too much money going to the trade show uh, to have to like ask people to go to your booth because if they're going to the trade show, they're going to your booth anyways. Um, So that's my thoughts on that. Um, I would rather look at taking the money that you would use to invite people to the event 
to get really good content at the event and then use that as part of your strategy moving forward, right? To create micro content um, and you know, articles and that sort of thing all coming out of the event. I don't know, Mary, what do you think? Yeah, so I had my brain went in a couple places. So I think this would work really well for a you know new brand new company. So if you're like a startup, you're trying to get some traction at a trade show, that's a really common tactic. Or mm-hmm. if you're releasing a new product, what's the first thing people are gonna do on their phone when they see you? They're going to Google you. They're going to Google you, right? Okay, perfect. So you put Google ads out, exact match your company name or your product name, and then have a landing page. And it's like, hey, did you see us at IPSE 2023? Well, in that case, like click here and Mm -hmm. boom, you're taken to a landing page. It gives you super specific content targeted at that ICP that's there. So let's say it's mechanical engineers. You have specific problem solution content there. You have like some then bottom funnel content, who we help and how, our process and pricing, and then bam, talk to sales. Like, And it's like, talk to sales at the event. So you do this geo-targeted area, you have it for the length of the event, so that's like three days, and mm-hmm. you can book a call or book a time slot. Hey, Ooh. let's go meet at Starbucks at the event right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that where my sense. brain went. Yeah. I love that idea. I love the idea just of kind of thinking about trade shows as more of a uh, opportunity to build community and like get out beyond the walls of the trade show space and actually, I don't know, hang out with each other, look for opportunities to do that. So that's super cool, Mary. I like that idea. Um, And piggybacking on that, like Mary, in the episode that we did early this year, like I think last January, you know, January of 22, we kind of talked about like, you know, maybe spend some of your trade show budget to go and host a happy hour. Like that could also be the call to action, right? Like come to our happy hour, come to like our company's events offsite and have a good time and get a chance to talk to people one-on-one, you know, without being in a booth. Yeah, I just, I know I rail on trade shows a lot, especially on LinkedIn. I don't hate trade shows. I hate the way that companies conduct themselves at trade shows. It's really silly for most people, especially if you have a commodity product or a well-known category and you just go to the trade show and do the same old thing. Or, I mean, you have a new like tablecloth or you have, oh, oh my God, this year we're doing QR codes. It's like, wow creative. I mean, everyone's doing QR codes, please just like, I'm just begging you to step outside the box because the trade show is like, first of all, it's expensive. Mm -hmm. And I know that these companies are not investing in their digital marketing strategy. So their website, their social media presence, it's like basically nothing. So that's my biggest problem with trade shows. I think you can still do trade shows really, really well, but you have to get creative. And it takes a strategy. Everything takes a strategy. We had a question from Craig. Craig asked if we had any examples of successful how to sell type tools that are intended for distributor salespeople that have to represent many products across several industries. Mm. Yeah, love this. Um, We're thinking about doing this. I have a client right now who sells through distribution and we're doing a lot of like infographics. So charts like product charts, um, really common in like SaaS, you know, if you are competing against like Salesforce and HubSpot in a CRM, you're going to have one column that's Salesforce, mm-hmm. one column that's HubSpot, one column that's your product. How are you different? You know, you got all the check marks or like, you know, the dollar signs. 
and you're um, doubling down on your differentiators, that's a good one. If you just have like for this particular client, they have a lot of products that do the same thing, but they do those things for different segments. So, and they're very well-defined. So that's what we're doing. We're making it very, very clear, easy to follow, something that they can just like look at right away if they're with a client. And then another one we're doing are flow charts. So, yeah. hey, do you have this problem? Yes or no? Flow chart goes down and you can follow the flow chart to get to your perfect product solution. Yeah. So those are really great things, Mary. Um, I would say like the other thing you need to think about too is, you know, most distributors rep more than one company, right? So they usually have a portfolio of products and the mind share that your company has with a distributor is usually pretty low. Um, and so like, they're not going to know everything, the, the ins and outs of your product. They're not going to know your value prop. They're not going to know your ICP probably very well, you know, for your specific products. And so you need to kind of create a uh, easy to read cheat sheet. That's got, you know, couple like a couple features right here the top one or two things about this product that make it stand out that is different than the competition what benefits does this product have that's different than the competition right like and then like you have to and then you have to tie that benefit to an actual value for the distributor right because they they're not going to be able to make that that leap in a, in a meeting so you got to give them the whole script on this is why this product's different this is the value that this product's going to bring um you know how do you demo this product right if you if your product requires a demonstration like I know a lot of people go through the, uh, you know, you got to do like, you know, 20 hours of training on our product to be to qualify for the certain percentage off. But, you know, you need to give a little primer before every meeting, right? So I have a little smart book or whatever to give to your distributor reps, uh, so that they can get smart in your products before going on a call. And then, you know, you know, for us, when I was in house, um, our products could be used in certain locations, right? So if a company is walking, or if a reps walking through a plant, right, like does, you know, look for these things. Like, do they have like a wastewater area? Do they have, um, you know, like metal shavings? Do they have this, this, or this? Like now I'll start asking these questions, right? Like, does your air compressor use a lot of energy? Well, let's talk about that. Like you start, so give them primers to ask, um, to get them started on that sales motion. Um, so that's what, that's what I would say. Just make it super easy, uh, for the distributor to talk about your product because if yours is really easy to talk about and their other products aren't, they're probably going to default to talking about you, especially if you have a good, uh, you know, good relationship with that distributor and um, they can actually make money selling your stuff. That's the other thing too. If they're not going to make money selling your stuff, they're not going to talk about it. So it sounds like both of you are saying that um, a lot of like one pagers, like just at a glance sort yeah. of tools would be like the best thing to do yeah. to support your, your distributor sales people. Yeah. Um, I think the other piece that I'd add to that is just to make sure that you are telling them like who this product is for and who it's not yep. for too. Right. Um, yes. I think back to just like a model that we follow a lot at Gorilla of like that, who we help and how. Um, and if you want to check it out on the Gorilla website, there's a good example there. We follow it. We try and follow our own advice as much as we can. But, uh, you know, who is this actually going to be for? And, you know, how can you help make sure that your product is not going to end up in the hands of somebody that it's actually not going to be successful for, because then right. you're just going to end up with, you know, negative perception of what you do. And so you've got to know exactly where you fit um, and make sure that you're communicating that effectively to those salespeople. Right. Well, I just think about like, um, you know, think about like an Amazon or a Walmart, right? Like they're just really big distributors, 
right? So look at how how does Amazon present products, right? Like really descriptive uh, product titles, uh, reviews at the very top. You know, reviews, the, yeah. Oh, that's a good the, one. The top, the top, the top uh, features of the product. You know, what the product looks like, how the product works. Um, right. So like, think about that. Like, is there a way for you to bring social proof into the sales calls? Right. So like, can you, and I'm not saying like, don't give your distributor like 50 case studies cause they're not going to read them. Nobody's going to read those. But if you can give them a sheet, like here's, here's our product. And you know, here's three testimonials that go with it, you know, that talk about, and maybe for like what Peyton said, like maybe like there's a couple different end users, right? So, you know, for end user, a, here's a testimonial end user B here's a testimonial end user C here's a testimonial. Um, so hit, hit them with that, you know, um, pictures are good. Videos are good. Right. So like provide those types of sales tools so that they can help the end user visualize this product in their own facility. Love it. Awesome. Cool. Next question. Yeah. Do it. Psyched. All right. Um, okay. So we had a question from Abby. Abby says personas and customer journey. Though we believe we have a good grasp on different buyer personas and their journeys, we would like to formalize them. There are, also, there are several ways to go about creating personas and customer journeys, and I'm curious to know what has worked best in your experience. So I'll start with the, her first question here. Like, How much data did you collect in order to feel confident in your persona's accuracy? Hmm. Probably like five to 10 interviews with ideal fit customers. So like... um. This worked really well at um, my old job because we had very well-defined markets. Like we had an entire team dedicated to a single market. So like an entire team dedicated to food and beverage. So for them, they had very specific job title and then target accounts, right? So mm -hmm. you have um, mostly production. So that's almost always production managers, head of production, sometimes operations or facility, but production was huge. So I think what was what would have been helpful that we did not formalize that I wish we would have is some kind of just place. So that could be on like your intranet where it's just here's production. Here's a link to the um, customer interviews that we've done. And then the biggest thing is just commonly in most common of the production managers that we talk to, where are they at in their journey? That's all I want to know. Are they problem aware? Are they solution aware? Are they product aware? Or are they most aware? Because that informs the kinds of content I as a marketer yeah. need to create. And it mm -hmm. informs, I think that was most helpful for the product team too, because it informs them on what like new features they need to create, what new products do they need to create? Yeah, and I it, think you, know, you can probably talk about this too, but like it tells you like the types of campaigns you have to run too, right? Like if you have a company that's super aware of who you are, you don't need to do a lot of, brand awareness type things right but maybe you need to get more into the weeds on like you know like let's start talking about the conversion path right like getting from like making them like fill the form out now if they're super aware of you yes right like retargeting versus running a cold campaign right like yeah. it, it can change everything about your paid media strategy and like you said like even the content you're serving like your messaging right. like what the psychology of of the message um yeah. So like knowing, knowing that can change the entire playbook for paid. The so, thing that Mary, my, my thoughts here though, is you're going to have companies that are going to fall into every single category. Like, I, I, did you, do we ever run into the thing where like every person in the TAM is most aware and is ready to buy? No, I don't think that ever happens. So 
like we kind of have to step back and I think just have a really good understanding of, you know, who these product food and beverage production people are. So like, what kind of language do they use? What kind of problems do they have? Like, is there any common problems that they have? Is there co any common uh, product features that they're looking for? And then I think you got to create campaigns and content that go to every single part of the buyer's journey. Uh, like to think like, we're never going to move like a whole group of people like in a, you know, a diagonal across the map, uh, you know, with the buyer's journey, right? It's not, it's not a, we're not playing Candyland here. We're doing business. Yeah. So, <laughs> and so, yeah, everyone's going to be at a different stage. And I think you have to create content and campaigns that talk to people at every single stage. But what you said is right, Mary, like have the, I think, you know, five to 10 interviews inside of a, you know, a target market to identify who that persona is or who that buyer is. And like, just really understand who they are will help you create campaigns of content there and talk to them in every stage. So Abby has another part to her question and that is, you know, so, okay, great. So we've, we've, we've collected the initial data. We feel confident that we've got our persona like outlined and mapped out. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now how long does it take to develop those personas and their customer journey? Um, and I think what she's asking is like, maybe how long does it take to develop or maybe just continue to update or, um, you know, really sharpen them uh, and help them progress down that customer journey. Yeah, I would say, please try not to overcomplicate this unless you are getting a ton of data back. And we have seen almost no industrial company run a cohesive paid social media strategy. And that's the fastest way you're going to get insights on whether or not your persona is working and the message is resonating with mm -hmm. that persona. Unless you're getting constant data like that back, do not overcomplicate this early. What you need to do is go out with a minimum viable product. I want production managers at top 10 food and beverage companies. So we're talking, you know, Pilgrims, um, uh, Frito, you know, whatever. Name right. your top five accounts. That's what I want to go after. Let's start testing some messaging. We just need to throw stuff out there. And whatever you're allowed to do, that might be email marketing. It might be cold calling. I mean, I don't know what the tactics you're implementing there are, but you need to test it first. Please don't overcomplicate it early. Yeah. And I would say you're probably never done because the environment changes all the time. Like right now, uh, there's a lot of talk about a recession happening. And how is that going to change all of our personas and their buying journey? Like it could definitely change things. So um, you can't just like, yep, yeah, well, we're all done. Buyer journey is complete. Nope, it's not ever complete. It's ongoing. Uh, things change, you know, demographics change, firmographics change, psychology changes. So um, yeah, like Mary said, like, get an MVP out, start testing it, and then keep testing it. And like, don't ever just sit back on your laurels and think you finished it because you haven't. Yeah. And like you said, Brendan, I love that you pointed out, hey, we're not just going to assume they're all in this single stage. So you should also like, okay, let's say you found out your production managers, your minimum viable product is we're going to test solution aware content with production managers at top five target accounts, right? As soon as that starts resonating, and you know, that's working, start plugging in some problem aware, start plugging in some most aware content. Um, by the way, if you don't know what we're talking about, look up Brendan Hufford, um, problem solution aware, and it'll pop right up in Google. So if you don't know those steps in the customer journey, just look it up there. But yeah, I absolutely just go out there and test a minimum viable product. So uh, third part to Abby's question. Oh. <laughs> Um, how can we implement them in a way that the whole team will find them valuable? I think we've already given some advice here, but just uh, maybe some pointed pointed advice would be helpful. 
I, I love one shooters. Like, I think that's like the easiest way to convey information. And so to have a single spot where the, you have a source of truth on this thing. And, you know, like I like Google docs because they're easy to update, easy for everyone to see, easy for everyone to work on. Um, you probably are you know, like Mary said, like if your company has an intranet, use that um, drop out, like whatever, but start creating one sheeters for each of yours, make the, you know, put it as a nice file folder system. So it's easier for people to navigate. And I would just continually update this thing, you know, like we just had like link out to the call reports, you know, link out to any testimonials you get any, you know, if you have any good, like customer, like sales calls or service calls, like maybe link some of those calls in there so people can understand like the types of words and languages that these people use. And, and like any, like any feedback you get from the campaigns that you're running, um, you know, bring those in there. Uh, and so just start building out that list and then share it out and make it easy for people to, to see and then get people's feedback and then, you know, internally, and then cut the things that aren't resonating with people and, you know, double down on the things that are resonating. Love that. All right. And, uh, the last question I have listed here, um, is from Luke, uh, he wants to know what is our Hail Mary marketing idea. And he ain't talking about Mary Keogh. <laughs> All right. So I've given this some thought since Luke did it. And I was like, because he put some parameters on this. He was like, hey, it can't just be the same thing everybody else on LinkedIn or TikTok or, you know, your community is talking about. Like, seriously, what's your weird, crazy Hail Mary marketing idea? So mine is, um, you don't get a website anymore. Your only strategy is going out in communities and social media as a B2B industrial company, okay? And that's the only way you're allowed to talk about your products and you get one page to send people to. And it's just a conversion page. Hey, am I putting out enough great content in the places where people are spending time organically to have people come to my one page on my website and say, yep, I'm in, let's talk. Mm. that's bold <laughs> it's a hail mary man yeah but you know what i think like just to talk about that idea it i think your conversion rates would actually be pretty high because if folks are really engaging with you on organic social and they're clicking through i mean set it up in, in google analytics and see what you, you can find but like if folks are um, really engaging with you on organic and they're following along and maybe they haven't clicked on your page at all, but they've been consuming all of your content for six months and then they decide to finally click through and that page is quite literally just a form that says, hey, let's do business. But they've already decided before they clicked on that page. So I don't know. That's crazy, but <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I mean, talk about an MVP there, right? Like that is a minimally viable product and it just cuts to the quick. And and I think it's like, that'd be very interesting for a startup to start with just one page. So, okay. So that's like, that's, that's, I think Mary's idea is like, if you have no budget, <laughs> right? Like, so you're just getting started. So on my side, unlimited budget. So you kind of do what, um, oh, what was that? There's like a meditation app that did this, um, but I think uh, it could work for industrial, but like get a licensing deal with like Amazon Prime or Netflix or Hulu and start a TV show and, you know, have it, have it be in the style of like, uh, you know, how it's made from, you know, the old history channel show or like micro dirty jobs. Like you don't have to have the, the show talk about your product. 
but the show kind of talks about the industry and the category that you're in and then you host it right and you know so i could see something like um you know like so like a big company like like a 3m do something like this right where they're like because 3m does everything right so like um you could have them come in and talk about like got any any sector that they wanted to and they could have a sweet episode that talks about how a specific product's made or how their products used in a certain area um i think something like that would be really interesting uh because people like those shows like i I remember as a kid like watching how it's made and be like this is really cool um so like i think something like that could do could do good work especially and then you just put your logo on there and you know you start creating a content media empire kind of thing with that but you need a lot of budget to do that I love where both of you went with this because you're essentially saying the same thing, but one is about going to an audience where you know it already exists and one is building your own. Yeah. But it's all about creating content that provides a lot of upfront value to yeah. the buyer, to the user. And whether you are doing how it's made, produced by Amazon Prime, or you're doing it produced by yourself on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever, that's the name of the game. You're providing value, not expecting anything immediately in return. And I love what you said, Mary, too, about like having the one landing page. That takes away all attribution issues. If you have things only coming through one place, you know you know exactly where, where they came from. So... I'm on board. Like, I don't, I don't really have anything to add to any of those. Like that's, that's exactly the, the playbook you, you need to follow. All right. That's it. Uh, next client we get at girl 76, we're recommending you kill your website. So yeah. <laughs> so good. Well, those were our questions. Um, I, I can definitely, I have others that I can uh, go through here from Google Infinite Scroll to organic LinkedIn, but uh, don't know if you want to dive into uh, all that today, Brendan, but. I think I think that's good, so. Wait, I have a question. I have a question for you guys. Like two, which I think are just like valuable, like for fun questions. So everyone gets to answer them. Number one is you, you can't explain why you just hit them with some knowledge. What was your favorite IML episode this year? I think my favorite one was when we had Nick Tacconi and Aaron Weeks come on to talk about video and why video is so important for manufacturers and how you just you just have to do it. You got to show it. Show what you do. It's all cool. Lean into that. Love that. Yes. Oh, my favorite one was uh, the trade show episode we did early this uh, this year. Uh, that was my first one. I think, Mary, was that your first one, too? Yeah, that was dang. That was my first one. one. My favorite, too. <laughs> 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 yeah I, that was uh it was really fun um got into the community and uh look where we're at now so yeah that was that was and it was just the conversation was really fun too my favorite was i i, I wasn't here for the first half of the year but my favorite was my first episode because yeah. you had me come on in like my second week working with yeah. gorilla <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah, that was what we talked about if you had a thousand dollar budget 50, 50 marketers yeah, yeah. We talked about um, what we would do if we had a thousand dollars to run a paid yeah. social experiment. That's um, going to be my other answer. That was probably my second favorite one we did, Kevin. So awesome! Yeah, it was great. Like it was tactical, and I was nervous coming in, but I felt like this is what I know, and uh, you know, it, it it worked out. Heck yeah! Okay, 
Next question. Well, Mary, what is yours now? So Okay, so okay, it was gonna be the trade show one. So I'll take my my second favorite one. And that was probably the one we did with Joe, how to get your buy-in from your executive oh, yeah, team yeah. on marketing initiatives. I really like that one. The most popular one on YouTube, um, Ooh, yeah. as folks watch them, is um how industrial marketers can use SEO keywords and intent. Mm. And I think that was where Grace, our strategy director, actually did a, a like a she screen shared for most of that episode. So definitely check it out on YouTube. But she walks through creating a lot of reports and um, but that was our most popular one uh on on YouTube this year. Oh, it's great. That does not surprise me. Everyone was probably re-watching, re-watching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. What is one thing one you want to learn more about in 2023? Mm. For me, I'm just really interested to lean into positioning, how to do it better, um, how to like balance company positioning with product positioning and like, just be very, very, um, clever and clear with uh, the messaging that we put out love that nice, baby. i love positioning um anytime you want to have a conversation about that i'm down <laughs> no nice. yes. coffee we'll talk about positioning yes. so for me um i just read a book called blind sight and it's about psych- psychology and marketing together so i kind of want to do a little more research into that because i think all that is very interesting like what color should you use what font should you use you know like all that kind of like that is interesting to me so um, I think I'm going to be spending some time there. And then on uh, CRMs too, I still like, man, CRMs are tough and there's a lot going on with them. And so um, just, yeah, trying to get more into that and uh, using that as a better part of my workflow. So those are my two answers. Nice. All right, Kevin. Um, yeah, so um, some of y'all may have seen the new AI chatbot tool, chat GPT. Yeah. Me, it feels like the breakthrough mainstream moment for AI cats out of the bag. We're not going back. This is going to be a part of our lives. Um, I want to learn more and more about that by actually using the tool and seeing what, like where we think this could go because when new, when new things emerge, like when Facebook ads first emerged in like, you know, 2010, 2011, everybody just saw it as like a cool little tool. Nobody really thought, Mm-hmm. what they would be what they are now and that's kind of where we are with ai it's like we're like oh this is neat like the computer's talking to me but it's like <laughs> way beyond that right and i want to start to actually form an idea of what this means um for us oh love that i'm not i want to learn more about public speaking oh mic drop <laughs> hey this is I like private a- public speaking yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I went to, uh, my previous company hosted a speaker who he was a magician and um, a, a coach on public speaking. And it was the most enlightening um, lecture ever. His name was Vin. I'm going to try and pronounce Vin Gang. Oh. Um, but uh, definitely would say check him out. He's oh, nice. So cool. Um, and then I have one more technical thing because Ooh, Kevin yes. got me thinking about it and, and Brendan said CRMs. I'm uh, 2023 is going to be the year of uh, GA4, uh, Google Analytics 4. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think that 
just making sure that we're levered, like Google has updated that platform so much. Now it can do even more than what it used to with universal analytics. And I just really want to make sure that I'm using it fully, you know, uh, it's so many different reporting features and the explore tool, and there's just a lot to play in there. Yeah. All right. Awesome. I think we're good. Let's close it out. Heck so yeah, everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Manufacturer Marketer podcast. Peyton and Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on either the last podcast of the year or the first podcast of the year. We haven't decided when we're launching this one. So, <laughs> um, but thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we had a really great time, uh, you know, fielding everyone's questions uh, on IML and today. Um, so we probably will be using that format a little bit more often uh, on the IML side. So um, yeah, again, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Uh, IML. So we are changing programming up on that. Um, we're still doing it two times a month, uh, but it's going to be Thursday mornings, the first and third Thursday of the morning. Um, e emails are out, but connect with us. Go to industrialmarketinglive.com uh, to register for that. Um, we hope to see you. We have, we already, I think we're already packed out like the first two quarters uh, for Thursdays of topics. So uh, we're, we're really excited to get into the meet and uh, start talking through all that. Um, Mary, let's hit them with a the slack. I can we can now join a Slack community of over 100 industrial marketers. Well over 100 marketers. Well over 100. We're in the triple digits, folks. <laughs> um, if you are interested in join, joining the Slack, you can connect with Peyton, uh, Brendan, or me. Just shoot us a message on LinkedIn. Um, you can also find more information at industrialmarketinglive.com. Peyton and Kevin, how about you hit them with your details, how they can uh, hear more from you? Yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. Kevin McClure. Else, Kevin? TikTok. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Kevin's TikTok is, is awesome. Uh, I downloaded TikTok just because of Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for me, I'm on LinkedIn, and you can also email me uh, just at peyton.warren at gorilla76.com. All right. Well, team. That was good. Thanks. Awesome. We're going to catch you all next time. Peace. Bye.